how exciting to be inaugurating the Poetry for the People podcast at the beginning of what's actually Poetry Month, April. Uh, and I am lucky enough to have two poets with me today. My name is Jeff Kalis, and actually all three of us are enrolled in a City College of San Francisco class called Poetry for the People. I'm going to have the other two students who are with me today introduce their names to begin with. My name is Jenny Perella. I am also in the poetry class here at City College San Francisco. Right. And I'm Janice Hummel, and I'm also a member of the class of Poetry for the People. And I would want to say right off the bat, I think this is one of the most diverse classes I have ever been enrolled in anywhere in all my time. That diversity, I think, is part of what allows all of us to bring different things to poetry. And part of what we're wanting to do with this podcast is, as much as we have all gathered our life experiences and shared them in that class, we want to now share them as broadly as we can through the medium of podcasting. Uh, another thing that's going on this week uh, or this month is a celebration of Maya Angelou. In fact, in our next class, we're going to be celebrating uh, Maya Angelou. Uh, Maya Angelou and 400 Years of Resistance to Slavery. And I think Jenny is going to be sharing with us here today something about Maya and about Maya's influence on Jeff Adachi, a vital, vital person to the San Francisco community. And I think we lost Jeff just last month, right, Jenny? Yes, the 22nd. And what is it that you have there today, and what does it have to do with, with Maya and with Jeff? I was influenced by Maya Angelou's writing, and when Jeff Adachi passed away, his wife had on the memorial um, invitation his favorite saying, his quote, his writing of how he felt when he was fighting against the injustice of the wrongs that were being done to all the uh, minorities. The highest priority were the Asian community. He engulfed and incorporated all of this diversity of different races that were suffering and brought it out to light and showed how the San Francisco Public Police Department were so corrupt. And he was able to get in there, fight the fight, clean it up, and he also helped the minority people become aware of their rights and how to look for their rights. And he educated a community of homelessness and prison men and women thinking they had no right and no way to find out who can help them. He himself was of uh, Asian ethnicity? He was Japanese, and right. his parents were in uh, the, uh, what do you call the camp, during World War II? Internment right. camp. Internment camp. Camps, and, yeah. and so he felt that if they had had, they were American Japanese, right. if they had had the right type of help and attorney support, they would not have been in that encampment. 
This is what caused him to fight the way he did. He would get on a plane and leave here and go and help in Colombia and Peru, other parts of the world mm-hmm. that said, we heard of your work. We know that you can help us, yeah, educate us. And then he did the same in the United States of America. He was traveling to different states. They heard of his work. Yep. They knew he could be trusted. We have such a reason to be proud of him. Oh, yes. Proud of his memory. Very much. So how does that touch down in in poetry? In poetry, you're able to work with words that will create an image. When you're reading, you can read it and go, oh, I see what he was doing. I see what his stripe was. I see now how he helped the marginalized. I see now how he fought the corruption in San Francisco Police Department and in the public defender's office. Mm -hmm. Because normally when you do that type of work to fight corruption, they always claim you have to be corrupt. But he proved that to be wrong. So tell us uh, and share with us what you brought in with with you today. What I brought in with me was a writing that Jeff Adachi did, a small paragraph writing of how he felt his sacrifices towards the people he was helping and how he wants the younger youth that are going to law school to continue this fight. This was his poetry. But they put it in paragraph form, but it was in stanzas. Great. Well, please uh, do read us a little bit of that. The first one is Jeff Adachi and how he felt his plight in fighting for his race and other races. His day is done. There are a lot of battles to be fought, so I hope that the next generation that is coming up does not shy away from that challenge. I hope that they realize and recognize the sacrifices that people have made to put myself and other Asian American leaders in the positions that we are in. I hope are able not only to leverage that and do greater things for ourselves, but also make room for the next generation of attorneys who are coming up. They are the ones who will pick up the mantle and continue the fight in justice. Right. All that Maya Angelou has been writing about all these years. Yeah. Jeff Adachi, Clarence Darrow, and Martin Luther King all referred at their time, their plight, their fight for justice. And in Maya Angelou's uh, writing, what I found that paralleled this when she is writing about Nelson Mandela and when he died. It, and, it, is that the title of her poem? Or? The title of her poem is His Day is Done. Oh, okay. And I paralleled it with Jeff Adachi's His right. Day is Done. Yeah. She writes here, Yes, we, his inheritors, will open the gates wider for reconciliation, and we will respond generously to the cries of the blacks and whites, Asians, Hispanics, the poor who live piteously on the floor of our planet. He has offered us understanding we will not withhold forgiveness, even from those who do not ask. We confess it in tearful voices, yet we lift our own to say thank you. And I found that parallelity to Jeff Adachi. Thank you. And the next one that is parallel is Clarence Dow. His words are also similar to what Jeff Adachi was doing. These were activists. He's the guy, uh, Clarence, who was portrayed, although fictionally, in the movie Inherent the Wind, Mm -hmm. I think, because he was involved in that whole Scopes 
trial about uh, teaching evolution and those people that stood against it. And he goes back, I think, to the earlier part of the 20th century, back to the 20s, 30s, at least, or something like that. Thank you. So what what you're going to read now is from quite a few years ago, but you're saying it's still very relevant. It's relevant to what Jeff Adachi was doing yeah. and to what Maya Angelou was doing and Martin Luther King. Go ahead. He I'm... says, Clarence Darrow says, I have lived my life and I have fought my battles, not against the weak and the poor. Anybody can do that, but against power, against injustice, against oppression. And I have asked no odds from them and I never shall. And this was the standing Jeff Adachi walked and took mm-hmm. as Maya Angelou. And the next one is Martin Luther King, uh, Jr., yes. the son of Martin Luther King. And he writes this understanding the message of fighting continuously. He is promoting the racism, the fight for justice, and the fight against injustice. It's still going on. Do you know whether his words go back to the uh, 1960s? No, this is uh, right before he gets shot. These are the words. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Mm. And that is very true because in Maya Angelou's poem that she wrote, she also has that. And it's nice to see that she related the majority of her writing to understanding what she was doing and other activists are doing. And the famous activists that we know of, she is letting us know we are here. Read us. Read our poetry. Read our work. Read our books. Read our writings. You will learn from it. Right. And right here is when she says, Yes, we inheritors will open the gates wider for conciliation, and we will not forget you. We will not dishonor you. We will remember and be glad that you lived among us, that you taught us, and that you loved us all. And this I tribute. I contribute to her, Jeff Adachi, Clarence Dow, and Martin Luther King. Jenny, you've been uh, writing regularly and sharing your mm-hmm. poetry with us yes. in the poetry for the people class. Right. How has Maya Angelou and these other writers, how have they influenced your poetry? She's influenced me to to sit down and think about what they're saying right. and how it influences what we're going through today. Okay. And I have one writing that I did oh. and it's she influenced me to write this poem about Jeff Adachi. Does your poem have a title? Yes. The Loss of San Francisco Angel of Justice. We San Franciscans learned our public defender, Jeff Adachi, has passed away. He was the rainbow to our criminal justice system. He was a devoted public servant for advancement in the cause of justice, an uplift in creating a calmness to the stormy, cold justice system. To the oppressed, the homeless, along with the men and women in jail, Unable to afford bail, he, through his work, showed those he defended, fighting charges against them, and they see no win. Watch me, Adachi, your human rights for justice. Gardening angels show the corrupt police system. You will win these charges and walk out of court to a life free of harassment by the police department. For his empathy, they feel like a swimmer winning a race. 
because they have a purpose and matter. He was the way to those he defended, showing the road to where you will be safe. Never thought you would see his work words and heart for justice, his true heart in defending you, his words of justice clearing the innocent. We lost a man who fought endlessly for human rights. Rest in peace. We will remember your love for the marginalized and social justice. Your day is done. It's done. I remember how uh, heartfelt that sounded to us when we heard it in class. And you're bringing it out that way again. Thank you so much for sharing that. What I'm hearing is you have him standing up still, that, that his death doesn't stop him. He still stands for us. And he stands yes. to, uh, for us through your poetry, which is great. Yes. That, that you're, you're giving that to us. It's an honor to do that. So many right now are doing fundraisers in his name. Right. They're reaching out to the people and they're saying, no, this man's life was unbelievable. Learn of it. Watch his ways. Look at what he did. Look, understand why he did it. And yes, yes, so yes. you come to the realization how lucky we were that he was in San Francisco. He was ahead of the Poet Defender's Office. And how lucky we are that we have in poetry a, a way of speaking our minds, sharing things, inspiring people. I would like now to go to our other uh, poet of the podcast, Janice, and have Janice introduce herself and also introduce her original material. Thank you, Jeff. I'm Janice Hum, and I have been a student at City College for a long time, and poetry for the people was just something different for me to take up, and I really enjoyed my time. And I think one of the nicest things about writing poetry is that it's one thing when you're writing prose, you have just a tendency of just speaking at people because you're just trying to inform people, you're trying to fill in the details. But when you're dealing with poetry, you all you have to do is use a few words and paint a picture for them and let them fill in the details. And I think that's the most coolest thing about poetry. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? It I'm is. telling you. Absolutely. Yeah, I learned that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, so um, the poetry I write, I have friends that are just into the political part of it, or they would talk about love, and I'm more of whatever strikes my fancy, and then that's how I write. So the poems I like to share is actually one bringing something back to life, you know, because we see it every day. But the first one I want to read is Festival. And it just talks about a festival in Chinatown. Okay. All right. All right. So. Festival. Lanterns, the color of firecrackers, dance above our heads, connect with fishermen's wires. They hang between light poles as dragons climb up the green post to reach the heavens. Voices mixed with selfies of many languages rise and fall as bodies jostle against each other, trying to see everything at the same time. Dull white canvas booths offer tables laden with stuff. One man's treasure is another man's junk. A hoarder's delight. Beige prayer beads rest next to books of black characters. Ancient chants to the deities above, catching the rays. Crystal squares, pyramids, spears with its etched images sparkle and dance silently for the children. Incense sticks wrapped in brittle cellophane sheets fill a table 
sweet scents tickle the noses of any shopper venturing too close. Trays of individual treats sit in columns of three, consumer sample. The sweet and savory interiors of the fancy pastries sits waiting for any nasty little hands. Drums, cymbals, and bells, cheers and whistles clash in the air with announcements and latest pop tunes from Asia. Below the public speakers, garbage bins begin to flow with refuge donated by visitors and residents alike. A half-consumed plate of noodles hang loosely over the edge of the bin, its fragrance of garlic mixing disagreeably with other smells. As the streets begin to empty out, bags of pink and white plastic are left behind, filled with the discarded. They surround each metal bins like moths to a dusty light bulb. How marvelous. Yes. I really feel like uh, this little studio is filled with the aromas, the sounds, the sights of Chinatown. Is that poem referring to a particular festival? Yeah, actually, usually it's uh, any festival, but this one happened to be the Autumn Moon Festival that was in September. And that's usually you get a lot, a lot of moon cakes and people are constantly eating. And, you know, it's just you're literally elbow to elbow with a lot of people. In your poetry, have you found yourself influenced by any other particular poets? I've been very blessed with a lot of friends that are in poetry. Mm-hmm. I have known like Nellie Wong, Canyon Sam, Kitty Sue, a lot of women. Uh, Doug Yamamoto hasn't been writing for a long period of time. Well, let's see, Maxine Hong Kingston. She has this recent book out called To Be a Poet, and what she's talking about is transitioning herself from being a prose writer, and if you're familiar with any of her writing, like a Chinaman. But the, one of the things that she does say is that when you're writing prose, you write at people. But the moment you share poetry, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know you are speaking with people. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're sharing their experience. As, as we are speaking today. Mm-hmm. Stereotypes are odious. And we, in uh, our poetry for the people class, we are so incredibly ethnically diverse that I think we are learning to take off, uh, disrobe ourselves of our stereotypes, Mm -hmm. but is there anything in all of the poets, the Asian poets or Asian American poets that you mentioned, is there anything they have in common which we might also be hearing in your poetry? Basically, it's family. I think it's a lot. Family, just through our poetry, we share our experiences because one person's experience, you know, of, let's say, Canyon Sam, she was talking about, Mm. she was reading her prose recently on March 30th over the Chinese Historical Society, Mm -hmm. and it was Words of Fire, and she was reading about her experiences going to, not only to Nepal, but also to Hong Kong her very first time, and just while she's reading through this, and everybody who's ever gone to Hong Kong, we're all, we're all sitting there going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know about the cab. Oh, yeah, I know about the fr-. And so just by her words, by her images, we find ourselves sitting there going, yeah, we're ex- experiencing the same things that you did. So I, I found that really good. And one of the things is when she was talking about having 
one of her molars or one of her tooth got loose or something like that. And she's talking about going to China and going through the dental services and while they're drilling and she's describing how a drill is not, you know, you don't plug it in and it just goes, no, she's describing somebody actually riding a bicycle and you're pedaling for electricity. And I'm sitting there going, that's the one. You have this image in your head. You're going, no, please watch what I mean. I'm eating all the soft stuff in China. I am not reading anything. No meat. And if there's even a, even if you're uh, you're tasting a spring row and it's a really tough spring row and you break a molar, I don't Uh-oh. think so. Yeah, there you go. Make sure you have lots and lots of Motrin. <laughs> you know, pray for the day you leave the place and then go back to your regular dentist, you know. You have another uh, poem to share with us. Today. Yes, I do. Tell us a little bit about that. It was several decades ago. There was a young Chinese-American architect, and it was, I believe, in Detroit. I may be wrong. But anyway, what was interesting is that he's just going out there, just having a good time with his friends, and he's celebrating his bachelor one last day kind of thing before he goes gets married. And unfortunately, he never saw his wedding day. And this gentleman's mm. name is Vincent Chin. Okay. Yeah, so that's my poem on there. So I, I was thinking about it. It was so many years later, and I was going, wow. I was calculating how old he was and how old he would have been. And so the title of my poem is Vincent Would Have Been 64. All right. Okay. So, I dreamed I saw Vincent Chin last night. His black hair, now gray, he stood there with his wife, with his children, one son, one daughter, watching the grandchildren, one girl, one boy. Behind him, a green tree sparkling with decorations, a symbol of good cheer and goodwill to all. But that was a dream. That Vincent Chin never existed. The one with a wife, with a family, and a future. He would have been 64 this year, had he survived that June night in 82. That celebration of pending nuptials, that verbal exchange in a bar, that physical attack outside the bar, that bloody bat. He was only 27. His only crime? Being Chinese-American. Being mistaken for Japanese. Being accused of stealing auto jobs from Americans. He was actually an architect. Tried for a crime, second-degree murder. The defendant and his stepson sat there in court, dressed in their Sunday best, wearing it's-not-my-fault faces. They win a light conviction of manslaughter and escaped with three years of probation. Find only... $3,000 and $780 court costs. They ignore payment with a murky conscience. Mrs. Chin, a widow, deprived of her own child, wept quietly in court upon hearing the verdict. She returned alone to China, her hopes and dreams dashed in a parking lot of the Fancy Pants Bar. She never received the apology from her son's killer, delivered 13 years too late. Vincent Chin would have been 64 this year, his death still unrecognized as a hate crime, but still a political hot potato. No public figure wants to champion against the powerful auto business still. 30 years have passed since then. There are cause to make America strong again. But now, 
Many more will die to make that dream come true. Thank Very you. Good. Wonderful, wonderful poem. And here again, poetry is magically helping us move through time, magically bringing back and standing before us somebody very important to us, somebody with messages that we still need to keep in our hearts and act on them out in the world, as as poetry has to do. That is so great. And so uh, also very much in the the righteous spirit of yeah. Maya Angelou, uh, whom we're going to be celebrating in our Poetry for the People class uh, this coming Tuesday. I want to thank the both of you for coming in. Any more things you want to share maybe about that class? I think that... I find the class extremely supportive. I find it very inspirational because when we go in there, we're not sure what we're going to write. But when we come back, there's just some stuff that comes out of our pens and we're like, whoa, I wasn't planning to write something like that. But this is great. I liked how we are given some poetry to translate and then learn to be inspired by it and write our own poetry. And I just really like that, that point. The translation is another powerful part of it. Do you like that part, Jenny? I like it very much because now you're able to speak, write your language, translate what you're saying into English, but you're able to let the world understand. Many Latinos out there who are reading poetry in Latin and their language and they're unaware that, oh, this is what it really means. This is the feeling. The American Latinos feel it. And they're saying, yes, we understand you. And that's what I like about this class. You walk in and you're given a poem and you turn around and she'll say, now what, write down the inspiration. What do you feel from it? Right. And then you end up going from left field to right field and you're going, I could do this. I can write. Poetry is a microphone. Everybody can understand what you're saying. And I'm hearing you saying that it's empowering. It's very empowering. It's very empowering, especially if you're a person with the skills of acknowledging the need to people out there. Yes. Come and help with this. Come and help with this organization. But then when you are able to put it in poetry form, people are like, wow, they understand. (laughs) They're reading about the problem. They see it. And we hope that all of you uh, listening to this podcast are getting that, too. Thank you. Uh, We will have others of these podcasts to come, others of our wonderful poets. Thanks to the two of you for being the pioneers. My name is Jeff Kalis. This is the Poetry for the People podcast, and we'll be expecting you to check in again. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye.